0: Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. All right. Live from the gleaming, streamlined studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, the following program is produced with a lack of musical attitude by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am, I believe, my current delusion, that I am still the legendary Burl Bear. Or well, maybe as, not. Well, maybe not, or as Mark Boyer says, the imaginary Burl Bear. <laughs> That's Mark Boyer, our right. coughing co-host and yes, fact-checker. Sir. Our special guest today is Lisa Mia, live in Thieves Streamline studio. Hi, Lisa.
1: Hi, Burl. Hi, Mark. Honored to be here.
0: Well, it's an honor to have you. You're looking lovely as ever. Look closely at your radio or your computer, and you'll see she's quite charming. Thank you. (laughs) It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, She is, uh, shall we say, uh, quite an interesting character with an upsetting past, a controversial present, and... uh, several million people who pay attention to her for some unknown reason (laughs) how many followers do you have on these various platforms out you know
1: I currently have thousands, um, somewhere over 16,300, 200, something like that, and counting.
0: Yeah, I read somewhere that you had 7 million on one of the platforms. But eh. then again, I also read that I have 16 million dollars from investing <laughs> in Yeezy sneakers, and I've never even owned a pair. So you, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. But uh, I agree. Reason I wanted to have you on the show, and it was very nice for you to fly in all the way from Hawaii, which is farther away than Oregon. Ah, uh, should we, should we, should we do it, or just forget the joke? What? That her arms are tired. <laughs> that her arms are tired <laughs> from flying in from
2: Hawaii.
0: <laughs> uh the program is true crime uncensored, and we we talk a lot of. We even have two criminals uh, on the show occasionally. Not that you're one, mind you. Uh, and we have people who work with criminals who try to uh, get criminals to stop being criminals. To find out what it is in their life. What's the fun of that? <laughs> it's, it's a matter of perspective. Uh, there's even that movie, What They Made Me a Criminal. It's a famous film. I think The Dead End Kids are in that one, too.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I like the Angels with Dirty Faces.
0: Yes, that's a very good one with James Cagney. is yes. in that one with Angels with Dirty Faces with yes. Leo Gorsey and Hunts Hall.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Before they were the Bowery Boys. Anyway, <laughs> a, little, a little film history there. Uh, you Having a life of trauma can lead to PTSD. Correct. Right. Uh, people get stuck in that and get triggered in that. I think anyone who's had trauma, such as Mark or uh, Matt Allen, uh, has been in radio for decades, and that's got to that's got to be traumatic, right? <laughs> I know Burl Bear. That is and real. That's traumatic me. in itself. Uh, human relations can be traumatic, and then things can remind you of traumatic experiences, you start reliving them or whatever, and acting out. There must be ways of reaching people and helping people. And what I have understood from reading about you and and checking up on your stuff on the uh, the very Internet is that people who are in crisis or people who are having trauma or have had it in the past and haven't dealt with it or haven't spoken about it for some reason will reach out to you And then what the hell do you do then? What do you do if someone like, say, if I sent you an email or a text message that Lisa, I read about how your life was totally screwed. Will you hear about mine? And I tell you about the horrible thing I experienced when I was working at some radio station. And uh, what, what do you do? How do you deal with that person?
1: Yeah, what a great question. And I get those questions. I get questions about experiences that people have suffered or endured and I've never experienced those. I've never personally had cancer and survived. Um, I've never had your extensive, incredible career, which, you know, of course, mm. comes with suffering. And um, yes, it's <laughs> you can't
0: be in broadcasting without <laughs> suffering. We know that.
1: Um, my response is I go into my well of empathy <clears throat> and I remember that we're all connected and that trauma is a community that we are all a part of in some form or fashion. And I, I come up with this kind of mantra as far as, oh, well, if I were them, what would I need right now? In fact, what, what do I need right now? And I'm going to share it with them. And often what I share is precisely what they need. And they'll tell me that they'll though. How did you know? And I think it's because we're all connected. And, and I do have this kind of psychic, if you will, uh, empathic experience about me.
2: Yes,
0: th- th- we could explain that momentarily, but he has a question for you. What? Um,
2: <clears throat> if they're reaching out to you, they've probably made the decision that they're ready for help. Correct. But in my probably. experience, um, if you're if you're not ready, then there's no help for you. You have to you have to be able to say, "Okay, time for help." You have to accept that things aren't the way they should be, and they should, make, and they can be different, whether that's better or not. <clears throat> and then actively seek to do that. But it's the <laughs> you need help right now to breathe. It's the rock bottom you hit before you start walking back up the ladder.
1: There are varying degrees of that, certainly. There are people who are ready to hear certain pieces of information and receive that and apply it, and there are other types of information that they are not ready to receive, so absolutely um, it's it's definitely not an all or nothing right. thinking you know we got to leave room for the gray and um, I'm actually writing a book about that right now gray thinking so um, and it and addresses a lot of what we as sufferers of trauma of life. Of just being a human being and all of what that uh, all of what that in, in entails, and finding between the polarities, the extremes of life, and, and finding the 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 gray, the middle ground. In psychology, they call it wise mind, you know, between logic and wisdom and (coughs) to connect. And that's where I reach people. So if there if there's a a degree of willingness, if there's a little bit of that and they reach out to me, they they want something. They're open. And my job is to crack open that spot and just go right in there. Like a surgeon, and just get right it and and heal as much as I can and press as much as I can, and that's what I do on social media. That's how I am at this mental health advocacy, and I'm trying to reframe and redefine what mental health advocacy is. And that is by being vulnerable and exposing my own self and going in the depths of myself that I I I don't as a as a professional, as a writer, as a, as a student, and uh, as a life coach, someone who's getting their degree and their license as a therapist. I I go, you know what, I need to rip myself open so that people can, I can reach them.
0: Right. We had on the program, uh, recently, uh, the, uh, the psychologist and coach who wrote the book Frazzle Brain, which is an excellent book, which has all sorts of great life hacks in it. And uh, the first thing I said to her was, you know, from my experience, people who become psychologists are usually poor psychiatrists do so because they're screwed up.
1: I remember <laughs> listening to that. Oh, you
0: heard that? <laughs>
1: I listened to that on my way here.
0: <laughs> oh, so, and she agreed. And I think that's true. Is that you want to fix yourself, but in the process, you learn. And how to help others
2: Absolutely That was Dr. Simone she's no, <laughs> You're thinking of uh, Of uh, Oh, Schneider uh, Schneider, yes, yes. Schneider. It was uh, um, Dominique
0: Simone know. was the uh, author of uh, uh, Star is Porn Who was our guest last week So we, <laughs> she's Terrible. been through a lot too A lot of trauma
1: Yeah, so. absolutely
2: uh, yeah, uh, I lost my love In 97 Same year that Princess died Passed away
1: mm, I'm so sorry
2: <clears throat> Well and I um, I wore over time The grief as a, a Kind of a badge of honor Look at me I'm handling it When I really wasn't mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was just basically a zombie Or as I like to say I reached Pink Floyd Nirvana as was comfortably numb mm. um, Until I met this uh, Adjunct group here and then they dragged my ass out of the buck. I said, you know, you don't have to hide at home and be miserable. And I go, well, I you could be it. miserable in public. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you get to the point where it's comfortable. And being feeling anything else is, uh, is just really scary. Oh, my God. What will happen if I go outside except to get the mail? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I was diagnosed with agoraphobia because of my inability to... You, you don't to
2: like uh, angora cats?
1: <laughs> or
2: angora sweaters, for so oh, I, I love
1: all cats, actually. I'm a, I'm a big cat
2: person. I, uh, I'm i allergic to the furry little things,
1: Aww. which is
2: bizarre because anytime time there's a cat around, it apparently knows I'm allergic and will <laughs> plop onto my lap and go meow. Well, that's because when you don't don't look away from, from them. That's
0: because you look away from them and don't send them any energy and cats... Go towards whatever creature does not confront them by looking at them, because mm-hmm. that's how they communicate it safe here,
2: by <clears throat> turning away from them. Well, in my case, I don't even know they're there. Next thing I know, there's this fur ball on my lap, <laughs> taking a nap.
1: I'm trying yeah. to cure you of the allergy.
2: That ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I always had, as I mentioned previously, a horrifying fear of drunks because I was abused by uh, drunk people, not in my family. My family were all just wonderful. But uh, I had some terrible experiences with drunks uh, when I was at uh, the post-teen, college age, whatever. And coming here just really helped me out. I I used to actually have a bodyguard go with me to a nightclub. If I wanted to see a band or something that was playing there, I'd have to actually bring a bodyguard because if there was a violent drunk anywhere in the club, they would find me. Huh. You know, it was like a magnet. Wow. And uh, so, you know, we all have our weird, uh, you know, weird things. And uh, so hanging out here helped me. Because <laughs> I could be around people who were drinking and none of them beat me up, which I thought was very nice of them.
1: You created your own safe space. Yes. And that's exactly what I do on TikTok. I create a safe space for people to be able to share whatever they want and just, and... uh. It doesn't matter how real or not; it's real for them, and I believe them, and I'll, I'll write them a poem and, and an affirmation. So we have a whole little safe space for anyone who who comes on, and I I have that with with my followers and my commenters, and people know that they can come on and feel safe, <sighs> just like you have here.
0: Yeah, well, you know, uh, my, sure mine you're... is
1: micro compared to your <laughs> <laughs> extensive
0: well, career. You know that if incredible. once you be, once you become Blazed. a public person, which you are that you give up uh, legally all various forms of rights of privacy. And uh, people could say all sorts of things about you that if you were a private person, you could sue them for. But you can't now because you're a, uh, a pub- public person, you're no right. a celebrity. And unless they cause you great financial harm, which is the way materialistic people view the universe, uh, there's nothing you can do about it. So uh, you have to get uh, either a thick skin or I don't give a damn attitude about what's said about you online, whether it's uh, true or not true. You, fortunately, you had some vindication recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Do you want to mention that or do you want to not mention that? Sure. Uh,
1: which? So which is? The thing about
0: the, the close, your significant other, shall we say, who was murdered.
1: Sure. There is controversy that was addressed by uh, one of the top YouTube- YouTubers in the world, Ray William Johnson, and um, he did a deep dive, and the conspiracy was that I'm using my book to monetize someone's death, and I didn't know Robert Mason Brewer, and I didn't have a relationship with him, etc His mother, who I call my mother, in law Lynn, she and I... Are very close. We talk every single week, and um, so it, it, the harm becomes when there are people like these amateur sleuths thinking that they can have knowledge about something, whereas you know hmm. yourself and, and Mark, that takes experience. You have a career as an investigative journalist, yeah, going into these areas of of knowledge and information and and, and investigative research to be able to know, you know, what the difference is between, you know, what's fact and not.
0: Some people don't care about facts.
1: Mm. Right. It was,
0: Reagan called them, pesky things. (laughs) Facts (laughs) are pesky things. Uh, But uh, as Buddha said, 500 B.C., the truth is not a matter of opinion.
3: Do you, you, you understand <laughs> that Reagan didn't say it as well as ma- I did? Making making fun of facts? No, he just the opposite of the way you're t- trying well, to portray. Correct it. My,
0: correct my yeah, portrayal. Yeah,
3: I, I will I will correct it for Good. you. Good. Yeah, he he said those are pesky things because he believed in facts. Good. See. Good. But that's completely different than the way he just portrayed it. he meaning burl Bear.
0: Yeah, I did not mean it as an insult to Reagan. Of
3: course, course you did.
0: Why would I insult Reagan?
3: Because you're not a fan of Ronald Reagan.
0: I've
2: always liked Ronald Reagan.
3: (laughs) Okay, and at least you know, at least uh, us who are not big woke lefties. I am a big uh, big lefty, by the way. Yeah, he is. But by the way, we really adhere to the facts. We like the black and white of things. I love facts. He does. Big fan. Big fan.
1: Oh, okay.
3: Females are females. Males are males. Boom.
1: So no room for gray thinking.
3: Well, well, no. What what is the gray?
1: The gray would be... A fact is a fact.
3: There is no gray area. What
1: about feelings? What? What about feelings?
3: Well, that's a female thing. That's an emotional thing. That has nothing to do with facts. Feelings have nothing to do with facts. Do Do
1: you identify as a man... Are you a man?
3: No, no, no. I don't identify as a man. I am a man. And not a biological Do you? man. A man. Do and you? There are no biological female. There are females. Do you
1: have feelings? feelings? Do you have feelings? Feelings, feelings will feel? lie to you. Do you feel everyone has feelings. It is not just a female thing.
3: And your the way, feelings we may have to hold this gal over. I mean, just, just aesthetically, <laughs> good for the show. It, right? is. Oh, it is. Well, thank
1: you.
0: Yeah. Uh, feelings will lie to you. That's one of the things they taught me at Beit Shuva. as the mm. rabbi said. Your mm. feelings will lie to you.
1: They can. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, feelings can tell us all kinds of things. I mean, the critic our mind.
0: Yeah. You know. you know, I feel this way and uh, it's like the guy I know that he's living out of a, a Cadillac limousine that occasionally runs. When it runs, he'll drive to uh, Ralph's to get a little something to eat and he the aliens were following him. He just has a strong feeling. <laughs> no, they're not. I knew this other woman, bless her, heart, in Walla Walla Washington, who was sure she was being followed to the store because she went every morning at eight fifteen and every morning at eight fifteen there was the same white car in front of her going to the same grocery store. The person's on the same schedule they are <laughs> there's always that person in front of me, that strong feeling they're following me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So you got to be careful about the feelings. you got to fact check them.
1: Mm, sometimes and, uh, we do, yeah.
0: Yes. And my, my statement of Ronald Reagan saying they were pesky things mm. was not meant as an insult of Reagan. Uh, I just thought it was a cute thing to say. <laughs> They're pesky things. <coughs> and uh, uh, I had friends who were, in fact, people we probably both know worked in the Reagan White House. Mm. uh, uh during that time In fact the people the bat uh, uh, knows as well uh, John Cavlin. I don't know if you ever knew John Cavlin. Oh
1: wow
0: uh, He worked in the Reagan White House
1: mm-hmm.
2: So um, did Frank Isn't Frank Hagen
0: work Yeah Frank Hagen Worked uh, worked at the Reagan White House also He's a
2: showrunner Yeah
0: Yeah What <laughs> Did he run the show He ran the show
2: Well showrunners Usually do
0: Yeah He shows up in my Forthcoming book We have quotes from him Oh. Ah. yeah, he participated. That's all nice of him. Uh, and yes, I am a big old lefty. If I were in politics, I'd be a lefty. <laughs> <laughs> as of what it was, I was joking with Matt. I said, I, I'm i so far to the left that Ho Chi Minh finds me offensive. <laughs> 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 Maybe. Well, get, getting back to uh, getting back to where we were. Oh, uh, Mark and I were talking on the way here, as I mentioned that. When you talk about people who are victims of uh, trauma, uh, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. emotional abuse, and you have you know the shelters for battered women, mm-hmm. and then you have Tempura House, which is a shelter for lightly battered women—that's a joke. Oh, <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> but try to find a shelter for battered men, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of battered men. There are, and they're often afraid and embarrassed to come forward. Mm-hmm. And they suffer, and guys don't get, shall we say, the help they need, the help they want, or the recognition and validation. Because are guys going to have the crap beat out of them by women. They're
1: not going to hit her back. Absolutely. And as you've probably read in my book, as we were talking on the phone the other day, Juliet Lives, That Rob had experienced. He was abused. He he was um, a a victim of domestic violence and all kinds of things: child abuse, sexual abuse, all kinds. And it's just very difficult. I tried very hard to get him therapy, and they gave me therapy first. I was the priority because I'm a woman, and a woman's needs come before. And they had this discussion with me at the uh, uh, the psychological services, and he took a backseat because. You know, he's he's a man. Um, and that's really heartbreaking because we, we need more people in the mental health field. And this is exactly why I'm getting my license as a therapist, not just to tell my story as an author and as a survivor of, of horrific trauma and violent sexual torture and trials, but as someone who wants to champion and be that for others and to make sure that there's room for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. It has to, to be, it has to be inclusion. Absolutely. And, uh, when I was living in Las Vegas, I lived just down the street from the Las Vegas lounge, which is where you had a lot of lizards, uh, a lot of lizards. <laughs> no, you had a lot of transgendered people or people with, uh, who were hermaphrodites and, uh, there was this one person I was talking to because I found this fascinating because I had never encountered it before that when uh, they were about 13 years old they started having these horrible pains. Horrible guy, horrible pains. Went to the doctor and found out that internally he had all female organs on the inside, mm. male organs on the outside. Mm. So here you have a medical anomaly, and what are they supposed to? Be, what are you supposed to do? In that case, no do you have a physical situation, but imagine the mental and emotional. There's a friend of ours who's been on the show a few times. Was, uh, uh, when he was uh, going through puberty, his body started to change. He was on the football team, and we uh, went to the doctor and said, Well, you're one of eight million American people children who was misidentified what their gender was at birth he was identified as male mm. and they said well do you want to stay a boy if so we have to give you shots etc uh, otherwise you're turning into a woman well, we can imagine what an emotional shock that was—not only for him, but for his parents.
2: Mm. I'm confused, just get it picking you up. Yeah, I get know. To Come
0: here. Yeah, this some strange visitor from another
2: planet?" Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It must yeah. be really hard, you know, for someone to go through. Just, I mean, socially—not just socially, but biologically—and and just in the construct of of the world. You know, where, where do you fit? Where do you belong? And and I think that's what we're all trying to figure out as, as people, as, as, um, as in the human race, we're trying to figure out, you know, where do we belong? Who, how, how can I get help? Who can I connect with? How do I connect with anybody anymore?
2: Yeah, with social media, separating people from that, that physical contact, that going out contact, it becomes a lot harder. You, just like me, you start to feel safer... In front of the computer screen. And God forbid you grab your girlfriends and go to a bar. Right. No, I, that's too dangerous. I know, I can't do that. Yeah, especially if you don't I have tried girl grabbing my, girl, you know, my girlfriends and they, they smacked me. It was wasn't good. Oh. Mm. Did they hit you too hard? No, just oh. right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs>
2: <sighs> uh,
0: so, uh, speaking of your book, which I will... Uh, you self-published this one. I did, and uh, 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 but and I was also very impressed with the use of dialogue because I love words and I love dialogue. Which is one reason I wrote a private eye mystery. if it's a true crime, so I can actually do dialogue. Of course, nobody buys it. <laughs> <laughs> once
1: well, you, once you do have you an do extensive it, career that definitely reflects. The people buy your book. You're your New York Times best-selling author and Edgar Award-winning author. So
0: yeah, that. that uh, you're humble to a fault. That the buck fifty will get you a cup of coffee nowadays. <laughs> once you have your therapist license. That will uh, make a big difference. It gives you uh, more credibility because you do have strong abilities. And you talked about the well of empathy. And you mentioned what you call a, a psychic connection. We had Alex Berklinger on the show two weeks ago. And I used to work with Alex, and we used to do uh, helping people in prison not be criminals. Mm. And when you are in a meditative state say an alpha brainwave wave level 8 to 13 cycles per second there is a transference of thought and emotion between the people in the room mm-hmm. which can be easily proven in about 15 minutes by getting a bunch of people together in a room and having to do one exercise bam, they're walking into a room because we can prove it and uh, listen to his show, we're reading his books so you can get the technique but the fact that they are in that state and you are in that state You are going to pick up, as you said, bam, right where they're at. And it will be, on in reality, the same wavelength. Correct. And it literally is a wavelength. It's 8 to 13 cycles per second or lower, which would be theta level. And you will get their images from their mind. They'll get yours. And you'll be able to go as far until something triggers them to go tense once they tense up, if you happen to hit that one button, it'll stop. It'll be like a roadblock, as you've probably noticed.
1: I have, yes.
0: And that's why. Because you've hit something that they don't want to deal with, or it's too uncomfortable. Absolutely. And the wall comes up. Mm -hmm. And once the tense, then you're going up to uh, 12 to 32 cycles per second, which is the outer beta level, and it's not there because as a uh, says imagination comprehension and the common faculty that links them all together are in what some people call a prayer state or a meditative state which is what a
1: very holy trinity
0: yeah Then there you go and that's how that empathy is we can feel the other person's feelings and sometimes it's disgusting
1: <laughs> it can be
0: have you had any uh, experiences where you're trying to help somebody and you wind
2: up getting triggered
1: absolutely almost all the time actually
2: <laughs> that's not healthy
1: well I, that's a that's a good point it, it can't it can be so overwhelming that if you're not managing your emotions it can be unhealthy right.
2: you have to detach the subject from yourself
1: precisely yeah Detachment is critical. Otherwise, if if you totally absorb, feeling everyone's pain, right, and then you absorb into them, and what good are you? You know, what what good would I be to anybody if I just completely absorb, like you know, getting sucked into a black hole into somebody else's experience? I have to be steadfast. I have to have an anchor so that I can, you know, survive, right, and and help other people.
2: That's that's the kind of thing that Burrow and his contemporaries have to go through. You could spend five years researching. The most horrific uh, case from history, and you have you have to deal with the with the family that shattered, that's left over, friends, uh, even even the law enforcement that was shattered by whatever they saw. Yeah, and you have to go and write about it, you know. And so, how how do you detach? yourself as from the writing from the pain that you're writing about.
1: That's such an incredible question because I had to do that in order to write Juliet Lives, which is one of a trilogy. I'm writing the sequel right now mm-hmm. and I'm struggling to kind of detach myself while writing the sequel so that I can have that sense of certainty that I can do this while also not absorbing and Read flying that. into the past. right.
0: You know, when I I first started my first serious true crime book, which was Murder in the Family, which is a horrific story of a mother and her two little girls who were brutally murdered by someone in the family. Uh, The great true crime author, Gary C. King, when he heard I was going to do this case, said, be prepared to cry a lot. And, boy, was he right. And I had a picture of the victims taped to my computer so I always knew who I was writing about. And but I had to have that, you know, Colgate <laughs> Invisible Shield. You know, I had to have empathy for the mem- people I'm talking to. And there were members of law enforcement I talked to who were so devastated by the crime scene that, you know, 20 years later, they were still, you know, brought to
2: tears talking about it. Absolutely. It, uh, there's... Um, uh, in the, in the past, there was a group of charlatans that um, called themselves Death Eaters. And there would be a feast in honor of the Death Eater. And what he would do, they also called Sin Eaters, and then they would, in air quotes, take all the sin from the deceased, transferring it from them from the deceased to them, And the feast was a reward for taking all of their sins and pain away so the family would have peace. Mm. And that went on in rural areas around the world for a long time where they would, you know, they would get a giant meal and a, you know, and a chunk of change and pretend to take away everyone's pain.
1: What an incredible concept. We have something like that in the Baha'i faith where if we do something in someone's honor after they pass away, Mm -hmm. it's the idea that we can help them progress in the next world. And this has really been my mission this whole 13 and a half years after Rob was brutally murdered and tortured and just getting his poetry published, getting it into different uh, literary magazines and having him in... Uh, the only poet in an anthology that he won. He's the only poet in a book of short stories, and he was featured and honored in. So just continuing his his legacy and the effect that he has and writing about him, you know. There was a time where he told me, he said, Lisa, if anything happens to me, this is because he had a seizure disorder, and he was terrified that he would die. And there was a time where he thought he was going to die in my arms, and he exchanged vows with me, and we considered each other husband and wife after this. And uh, I get emotional talking about it because it's just like a moment ago. And um, he said, if anything happens to me, Lisa, I I need you to promise me that you'll live. And you'll live to tell people about the person I was because there's nobody else who can. There's nobody on this planet that understands me and knows me like you do. Because he knew that if anything were to happen to, to him, that I would need a reason to live. And he's my continuing reason. that's you know Romeo died Thus, Juliet lives and this is my movement I had to create something for myself to live and to be here today
0: reminds me of the fellow wrote the book Confederacy of Dunces and uh, I think he committed suicide and his mother found the manuscript and got it published and it won awards and became famous wow posthumously it's a great book I suggest you all read it After you read all mine I will And yeah. hers
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Should be on Oprah
0: Yeah On the Oprah list On the Oprah <laughs> list poor,
2: poor Oprah looks pretty good
0: Last time I saw her She was she was looking pretty swelt
1: She looks amazing She's She's gone through Extraordinary pain And she's a champion For the world And I, I look up to her
0: Well, maybe she'll look up to you one of these days. You never know. The world's a strange place. You're too kind. (laughs) Our guest is a
1: tad
2: diminutive, so she's. Well,
0: I'll tell you if if uh, Matt would say you'd be a good addition to be on his show. I wish it would be fun. Uh, There'll be so much testosterone, you'll be overwhelmed.
1: (laughs) No, no, it'll be great. It'll, it'll be like a tennis match. It'll be great.
0: <laughs> because uh, uh, I used to date a woman who was known as the boy whisperer. Mm-hmm. Because she could deal with boys. They could be the most whatever, uh, you know, blah, mm-hmm. and they would just melt in her presence. And it amazed me because I saw her in action. And. There was no one's heart she couldn't melt in two seconds. As some gift from God that she had, <laughs> and uh, she worked with problem boys. And wow, she could—that's wonderful. She could take these just angry, you know, defensive, mm. uh, you know, guys and have them just let, let you know, and talk and have wonderful times together Mm -hmm. it was most impressive she wanted me to be her boyfriend I said no I'm too screwed up (laughs) to be anybody's boyfriend right now I just got out of the treatment center I have no condition but she was sweet where is she now probably with someone much better than I Ah. that's show business show business is my life where are we? <laughs> Where, are we? <laughs> Where are we? We're here in our secret bunker.
2: Oh yeah, we're in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. Uh, was so uh, your um, your father your stepfather was abusive? Really, don't have to go into the details. Um, at at some point, as you grew up, you had an opportunity for uh, closure. Did uh, was that the decision? Um, this is going to be finally over, and I can move past. Uh, or were you still in the throes of the trauma and really didn't know the difference?
1: When you say closure, are you talking about when I put him in prison? Yes. That wasn't closure for me, really. Um, he did not get the sex offender. Um, he he was not um, imprisoned as a registered sex offender. Oh. Um. And he had abused my classmate and I overheard him say that he had her trapped and he had kidnapped her. Um, You know, so uh, I read in my mother's own journal that she was jealous of all these children that he would have sex with, both boys and girls, but wouldn't have sex with her at times. Um, And... It just didn't feel like closure. I, I really fell apart. I started to really lose my mind. Um, I didn't feel like it was enough. So I really needed to kind of go within and create my own justice. And use all the the kind of torture tools that he gave me. And leverage that to be a better human than him.
0: Yeah, you didn't want to be like him.
1: No. And he really groomed me to try to think like him. He, I would go to school only to come back from class, and he would ask me what I had learned, and, and he would unlearn it and have me write essays going against, for example, and, and have me write argumentative essays on how Himmler, Hitler's advisor, was so wonderful. And I had to write it in such a way that convinced him that the Nazi regime was a wonderful thing and, you know, so um, I constantly, um, I I mean, I was completely brainwashed, you know, but there was a part of me that really knew right from wrong and he would lock me in my my room or a room, starve me, whatever, if I didn't disagree with whatever his ideas were. And sometimes I just went, you know what, no, this is wrong and I know what the punishment is, but... I like boundaries more than food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes it's as simple and complex as that.
2: So is he still in prison or?
1: No, he's out. And unfortunately alive. But I I don't think he was ever very, quote unquote, alive. Someone someone like that, someone who brutalizes and rapes children and is just a menace to society is... um, They can't really be rehabilitated, even though he would ask me, you know, Lisa, what's love? I'm 10 years old and I'm sitting with a pedophile and trying to explain what love is. So, of course, I take out the Bible and we go to Corinthians. You know, love is patient. Love is kind. You know, love is not coming into my room when I'm sleeping and hurting me. And... It kind of seemed to work because he was listening. And so I had to believe in the hope that a 10-year-old me could rehabilitate him, <laughs> really. <laughs> so, you know, as fantastical as that was, it, it, it kept me going and it kept value in me. I, yeah. I felt valuable. I was like, wow, you know, he's going to me with this big question, these big ideas.
2: So the next, uh, the next horrible question, did you ever resent or blame your mother for not protecting you?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. And it's very complex. One would think so, yes. She... I always thought, historically, we're talking about when I was little, I thought she was just purely the victim. She would cry when he would yell, when she was battered, you know, when her, at one point, her arm was broken, he broke her arm choked her until she passed out in front of me. I always thought she was the victim and that it was my job to protect her. I didn't, or rather perhaps I couldn't believe that she had orchestrated so much of the pedophilia that was going on and the abuse that went into my life. And she kind of handpicked these men to give me a way to. And it was really only until the last few years that I I really started trying to process that.
2: Yeah, I've, I've always found in the stories we've done over the years of the show why the other adult doesn't have within them the ability to stop the abuse. They just kind of take a passive back seat and, you know, turn their head away. Even though they know it's happening, they don't do anything. We had an individual... Uh, who is uh, a boxer On the show he wrote, a, he wrote a book On his experiences He became a world champion boxer To, to uh, Make his father proud But All through his childhood His father gave him to his friends For sexual abuse Male on male um, And He could not answer why any other adult in his life didn't come to his rescue, it didn't help, even though they knew what was going on. I mean, how could you have four or five guys come over to rape your son, and no one know, no one not know? And he didn't have an answer either. That was one of the most difficult interviews we ever did. Boy, that was tough.
1: I believe it. It's it's tough, and it, I'm. I'm kind of beside myself sitting here with feelings that I'm going, man, I, I thought I processed this. I thought, you know, I was over it. I, you, you know. Unfortunately,
2: and- you're never going to be over it. You may be, you may have made peace with it, but it'll always be there. I have um, um, artifacts from my girlfriend in the house. Because, you know, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of death in my life of those people I've chosen to love. That all have uh, moved on a lot more than should. Um, and they're always there as reminders. But I've gotten to the point where it doesn't make me want to stop and not do anything. They're just there and remind me of the happiness that was there instead of the pain. But unfortunately it's always going to be with you. And it's how you choose to take the pain and turn it around and you do that a lot with the people that reach out to you You try to take their pain and replace it with the positive imagery instead of the negative imagery instead of remembering how brutally your boyfriend your fiance was when he, when he was murdered you think about all of the stuff that was with you and how happy you were together and then you can then separate the pain from the happiness, and then all you have now is the happiness instead of the pain. Um, there are a number. There were a number of um, authors through the years that have written about this. Uh, you might want to, since you're going, you're getting your your uh, therapy degree, you might want to check out Brad Shaw, Homecoming. He was a psychotherapist. And he wrote about how people, through their lives, build uh, subconscious responses to stimuli. Uh, He called them scripts. They're just basically a list of steps. When something happens, you react to it. There's no cognitive thought behind it. It's just a reaction. And once you can recognize that script and what it does and why it's not, you know it's not good because you're looking at it, how to rewrite it. How to,
1: Cognitive restructuring
2: Yes uh, Alvon Hubbard did that with, Came up with the same Kind of concept of Dianetics And the reactive mind But you might want To check out Bradshaw and, I will um, You don't necessarily Have to agree With what he wrote But the more Information you have On how to help people uh, The better your Your service to them Will be
1: that's great, yeah.
0: And I do think that um, men are an underserved, an underserved market, shall we say?
1: Absolutely. As a life coach, my clients are majority men, and they find safety in telling me about their, for example, sexual trauma. You know, they're, most of my clients are aware that I'm a trauma survivor, so they feel connected to that, and. A lot of the clients that I have who are male often tell me that I am the first female and female relationship healthy that they've ever had in their life. And while it's professional, it's the first one still. And... And it blows my mind because you'd think, oh, well, didn't they have a female teacher that was healthy? And no, it just it didn't develop. They were overlooked for one reason or another. They got left behind, even though we're not supposed to leave our children behind. It happens all the time. We have a broken mental health care system, broken educational system. And I just make it a point to make sure that I reach out to the minority groups, including people who are sex trafficking survivors. And it's amazing how these people kind of come into my life, to your point earlier, that we just attract certain people. Yeah. And they just kind of show up and you're like, well, okay, this is for a reason. And, uh, you know, um, let's engage. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out a way to connect. You know, because the connection's there. It's just connecting deeply and how to do it.
0: And how to be helpful.
1: Right. Doing it.
0: And for them to, up not being dependent
2: upon you.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. we live in a culture of codependency. So then there's that fine balance.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, um, human, the human species needs to belong. Unfortunately, people aren't um, objective about what they choose to belong to. It, any, any sense of camaraderie and belonging is sufficient. And it could be uh, you could you could find yourself in the jungle drinking poison uh, poison Kool Aid, uh, or or you know living out in the spawn ranch. It's the belonging that's the need, and um, Scientology uh, exploits that tremendously. As so one of their one of their crutches, it's the you're a part of us now. This is our this is your family well the mob would do the same
0: thing we we had Andrew Donato on the show years ago a couple of times who wrote the book Escaping the Mob and uh, as he said they tell you oh we've always got your back we're your family he says it's all bullshit he says they don't <laughs> it's all a lie you know, it's, they don't have your back they may have a knife in it or a bullet in the back of your head for convenience but uh, that's not the way it is a uh, very, very strange situation. Uh, so I always tell my pal Punch, the uh, uh, Jim Heist mastermind, retired, of course, uh, that he said about uh, he and his, his dad and their crews who were doing all these diamond heists in the Diamond District where everyone was in on it from the people being robbed to, It you was know, it's like the old joke, you know, geez, you hear about, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the big heist of my, uh, you know, my jewelry manufacturing firm. No, when was it? Two weeks from next Tuesday. <laughs> you know?
2: oh, yeah, wow. they, they same joke with, uh, you know, your store burning down. Your
0: store burning down, right. When is that? Next week? Because they get full uh, insurance payment of retail value within two weeks of their inventory. And the uh, great way to increase cash flow is to be robbed. <laughs> wow! And so um, the fascinating
2: yeah. aspect of all of that in the was that was the sixties and seventies, right? Uh, that or was early eighties. The giant climax was in the nineties. Was the, the, head, the heyday? Event. The real surprise was is that the real criminals were the insurance companies because they were running the protection racket. Again, you know, in the in the jewelry district, and anyone who didn't didn't buy the insurance, they would just go to the mob and say, "Hit that place." Wow. And so, uh, Punch's father recognized what was going on, got everyone together, and said, "I want to make sure you understand this isn't a shakedown or a protection scheme, but this is what we're going to do. Everyone's going to buy the insurance. And They're all going what?" Well, and then, on occasion, one of you is going to take all your jewelry and give it to one of your colleagues. Put it in their safe. Then uh, we're going to hit that safe, steal everything. Both of you get retail value for everything, and then we give you your jewelry, <laughs> and you give us a cut. Wow! And that went on for years. So they scammed the—they scammed the insurance company with their own scheme. And the insurance companies paid
0: because they, it was everyone was in on it. The insurance companies, the security companies, the safe companies, told them how to open all the safes because the people once being robbed would need new safes. So it was just <laughs> a whole giant, you know, revolving door. Yeah, revolving door. The, the only people who uh, who weren't in on it was the major case squad that was supposed to catch these people.
2: Couldn't figure out how they were get how they were doing it until they noticed acrobats climbing the side of. A building, and using <laughs> repelling ropes and, and sliding ropes from roof to roof,
0: because in New York in the Diamond District, they were robbing jewelry stores. They were robbing jewelry manufacturing firms. who were like on the thirteenth floor uh, of, a, of a building. Uh, and they said, well, "What do I need insurance for? No one's going to rob me." I'm on the third. No, no, you've got to do it. So he did it, and then they oh, got robbed. <laughs> and then, of course, they got
2: paid. Yeah, they would hire. They would hire specifically skilled individuals. Punch was the safe cracker. And they had acrobats, uh, riggers, um, people with tremendous upper body strength so that they could either come, you know, they would be in building A, they would run cable to the building they were going to rob, they would slide across the roof, onto the roof, rappel down to the window, get in and then go back and reverse it and removing removing the traces of how they got in and then the other piece at the time they were nonviolent, no weapons of any kind that was a must and the individuals that would get hired were essentially one time because the score would be so large they stole over a billion dollars over a 10 year period that the individuals that were involved would get their money and they were set for life and they didn't have to do it again and that's why the Pink Panthers are almost impossible to catch yeah people they, thought they, oh there they, must be 600, 600 of them no there was about 6
0: <laughs> 6 guys and it was you know you just hire individuals and they were all trained in New York by our pal Punch back when he was doing it. but he unfortunately
2: got busted and went to prison but uh, he made it the the single most grievous mistake going back. Yep, yeah. he
0: went back into uh, a building after he'd already, you know, Miracle Watch Company.
1: Wow
0: Yep It was a miracle <laughs> yeah. Enough of Stealing Manhattan of stealing, That's the book Stealing <laughs> Manhattan Which you should buy When you buy Her book Juliet Lives <laughs> Buy any of Burl's books
2: Because he owes me money I do I, I owe uh,
0: Mark a lot of money Because he's been Keeping me alive With uh, soda pop And fried chicken Every <laughs> week
1: <laughs> <laughs> And humor And humor. And, humor. <laughs> and
0: humor And good humor so. <clears throat> what else could we ask you? What have we asked you? We can, ask, we ask, we can you? ask many questions. Yeah. Uh, how many times have you been married?
1: Oh, well, it's the one. The one that, you know, is not legally on paper.
0: Oh
2: uh, Yeah. Do you have any other husbands? No. No? So you had, but you have two children.
1: I have ten. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have any children.
0: Oh. Is this any bio-information?
2: What I found said she
1: had a couple of kids, right? And doesn't it say that I'm forty six years old somewhere? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: You don't look forty six.
1: Oh thanks. I you know, it's my skin cream and No,
2: it's forty five.
1: See you know my age better. How
0: old are you really?
1: <laughs> I'm thirty three years old.
0: She's really thirty three folks. And I really am not <laughs> worth sixteen dollars <million> from easy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish if I was worth sixteen million dollars, Matt would have a
2: <laughs> well i wouldn't be broke
0: <laughs> that's show business <laughs> welcome to the world of show business uh, when do you graduate when do you get your diploma
1: I'm in 25 if i stay on going but i'm right now i'm working on my sequel so i'm taking a semester off
0: yeah well don't forget what you learned I might have you write an essay while you disagree with everyone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I do those well.
0: (laughs) You've had lots of experience. Yes. Lisa Mia, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, She's your friendly uh, go-to person if you're having a crisis right now. Friendly
2: neighborhood spider woman? Yeah, she's,
0: uh, yeah. She's a neighborhood spider woman. Get caught in her web. <laughs> the book is called Juliet Live. It's got a nice picture of her reclining on a bed of grass somewhere with no seeds and stems, just <laughs> leaves of grass, as all women would say. So well, thank you for coming all the way from Hawaii to be here. At least we had a lovely day.
1: Thank you for having me. It was our you.
0: pleasure. Uh, for Magic Men <laughs> from the Light Up Lounge. And now already alive.com. Thank <sighs> you.